where Dave and I plan this year's company holidays. Let's go through the list. Easter, too religious. St. Patrick's Day? Too white. Mother's Day? Way too cisgendered. All of your usual holidays have been canceled this year. But we still have Karl Marx's birthday! Ha <laughs> Need a real reason to party? Find a new job at redballoon.work. Leaders at this year's G20 promote the WHO standardized global vaccine passport and digital health. Friends, it's officially time to upgrade from a tinfoil crown to a full-bodied tinfoil suit of armor. After all, this does sound like the beginning of a dystopian movie set in the distant, though now very near, future. We interview Aaron Rock, lead pastor at Harvest Bible Church in Windsor and fellow for church leadership at the Ezra Institute. Aaron is going to tell us about the upcoming Mission of God conference in Windsor, which focuses on climate change and why Aaron thinks Christians need to understand the illogical, rabid climate alarmism that is growing more and more in our culture. And finally, our liberal czars, with the support of the communistic NDPs and the bloc, have put forth an amendment to Bill C-21, taking aim at semi-automatic firearms and shotguns right on the heels of their handgun freeze. Let's recap. The state has their hands in every Canadian sphere, check. The state imposes lawless mandates to crush Canadians, check. The state actively works to disarm Canadians, check. What could possibly go wrong? Everything. Everything could possibly go wrong with this. It's November 24th. I'm Andrew DiBartolo, that's Matt Halleck, and this is the Liberty Dispatch. Welcome to the Liberty Dispatch, broadcasting across enemy lines into the Canadian culture war, wherever you're getting our programs from, whether it's Rumble, YouTube, although we're canceled right now, we can't post anything for a couple weeks because of a strike, or you're getting us on your favorite podcast catcher, we would appreciate you liking, subscribing, rating, rating reviewing, commenting, interact with our content and share it out to others because it helps us continue to grow and, and get our content content out to more people speaking of that content we are on the fight laugh feast network that is flfnetwork.com and you can also get us as well as all the myriad uh, other great shows including a show uh, called leadership now with a man we're going to interview on this podcast dr aaron rock you can get that over at the FLF Network, and you can also get that on demand by downloading the FLF Network app from the Google Play or Apple App Store. So we would encourage you to do that very thing. Also, go over to our website, libertycoalitioncanada.com. And as always, if you have yet to, please go down to the bottom page, sign up for our email list where you can stay in contact directly with us and you'll we'll let you know of all the various things we're going, uh, going on here at LCC and with the dispatch. Also, if you would, please do us the favor of going up to the top of the page and hitting the donate button on the top of the page and leaving us a donation, um, especially since we have ambitious donation goals uh, for the 
Liberty Coalition Canada. We're trying to raise $300,000 by the end of this year. And many of many of our faithful listeners um, have, have given over the last little while, but we, we would appreciate if you would, if you benefit from what we're doing, our legal advocacy, our news and analysis, and then some of the various initiatives that we have going on at LCC, we would very greatly appreciate your continued support on an ongoing basis because it helps us grow and and build for the future. This is a long fight that we're in. We're not going to be like those saying the next election, the next moment is the most important moment of your life. We are thinking covenantally on the program and we want to build strong institutions for the future so we can build a better nation and we can be God-honoring in all that we do. So please, if you would, go to the top of the page and hit donate to help support what we're doing here. And finally, any comments, questions, or concerns can be directed to us at info at libertycoalitioncanada.com. That's info at libertycoalitioncanada.com. Our first story is brought to you by our friends over at Resistance Coffee Company. Resisting tyranny and fighting for freedoms in Canada can be rather wearying. What we all need is some deliciously brewed fuel for our bodies and minds. This is why you need your beans from Resistance Coffee. Why would you buy coffee from people who hate the freedom and the foundations of what make Canada a great country? Starbucks pays their employees to travel out of state to murder their babies. McDonald's won't let unjabbed parents visit their sick kids in Ronald McDonald clown hospitals. Tim Hortons is not only tracking your movement through their app, they also won't let unboosted people attend their woke camps. Spend your money on coffee that not only tastes way better than these Marxist companies, but also supports and donates to freedom in Canada. Go to resistancecoffee.com slash LCC today and indulge in some liberal tears or maybe some black gold. That's resistancecoffee.com slash LCC. Make sure you use that slash LCC to get 10% off of your first purchase. I have to clarify again, there's been a little bit of a misunderstanding and it's entirely my fault. It's not Matt's fault. It's not your fault. And it's not resistance fault. It's my fault. And we've been unclear that that slash LCC is only for, sorry, the 10% off is only for the first purchase, which means if you haven't made a first purchase yet, what's wrong with you? And make sure you use that slash LCC, buy as much as you can, lots of coffee, freeze it, buy merch, buy hats and mugs, and you get 10% off. And if you've already made a first purchase and you went back for a second purchase, but it didn't work, and you thought, hey, where's the code? Email us at info at libertycoalitioncanada.com and we will send you a special code because our friends at Resistance want to do right by our audience. And despite my goofing, they're still willing to offer that second 10% off for people. So again, that's resistancecoffee.com slash LCC. Why wouldn't you want to support guys who love freedoms, who make good coffee and are willing to fix mistakes that I make? Absolutely, we should go support these guys. These are good brothers. Resistancecoffee.com slash LCC. And they make delicious coffee in beautiful mugs. I got to defend the CBC drinking the liberal tears. What can go wrong when you're having a good day starting off with some resistance coffee? 
Delicious. Anyways, Delicious. Andrew, we have a busy program, um, so we best get into the stories that are before us this day. And I want to start uh, with a very, very important story that was not really covered by mainstream media, but it has drastic implications, not only for Canada, but for many countries uh, in the world. So story number one comes to us from the recently held G20 conference and leaders there have planned to implement a global vaccine passport this comes to us from the epoch times or epic times depending on how you want to pronounce it leaders of the group of 20 that is g20 have issued a joint declaration promoting a global standard on proof of vaccination for international travel and calling for the establishment of a global digital health network that builds on existing digital COVID-19 vaccine passport schemes. The joint statement followed the conclusion of the G20 summit held in Bali, Indonesia, where leaders shared technical standards and verification methods under the framework of IHR from 2005 to facilitate seamless international travel interoperability and recognizing digital solutions and non-digital solutions, including proof of vaccinations, the G20 joint declaration reads. The International Health Regulations from 2005 is an instrument of international law developed under the auspices of the World Health Organization that lays down a global framework for responding to the international spread of disease. Besides acknowledging the utility of the IHR framework, the G20 leaders said that support they, they support ongoing international dialogue in collaboration on the establishment of trusted global digital health networks as a part of efforts to strengthen prevention and response to future pandemics. They added that these global digital health networks should capitalize and build on the success of the existing standards and digital COVID-19 certificates. Don't let that pass by. They think what they've done over the last two and a half years has been a success, not an abject, horrible, dystopian failure. Nevertheless, continuing on, the joint declaration follows recommendations from Indonesia's Minister of Health, Bundi Ganadi Sad. Sadikin made during a business 20 B20 panel held ahead of the G20 summit. Huh, that seems really interesting. You have B20, G20, all meeting in close proximity to an that seems like a public private partnership and a merger. That's corporatism. That's fascism. Interesting. Anyways, this is uh, what he had to say. Let's have a digital health certificate acknowledged by WHO. If you have been vaccinated or tested properly, then you can move around, he said during a panel on November 14th. Sadiqin added that 
the benefit of global WHO standardized vaccine passport would be to facilitate international travel. So for the next pandemic, instead of stopping the movement of people 100%, which stopped the economy globally, you can still provide some movement of the people he added in specifically talking about those who have either been vaxxed or tested. So they're trying to make Andrew what took place over the last two and a half years or so standardized forever. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get into a little bit of the actual joint statement, which all the government's put out, like all the governments actually shared this. So we're going to read this. <laughs> this is from the, the White House website. This is the White House joint statement. This is what all the leaders agreed to at G20. And we'll read this because this highlights what you've just pointed out, and then we'll we'll give comments. So this is from the statement, which is a lengthy statement. We've linked it here in the show. I mean, it's long. There's a lot of different points. I mean, there there are a lot of moving parts to make fascism and tyranny work. It, it requires a rather extensive operation. So this is what it says. It, it is a command and control economy yes. after, after all. So it, it is extensive. Anyways, continue. So this is what it says. We recognize that the extensive COVID-19 immunization is a global public good, and we will advance our effort to ensure timely, equitable, and universal access to safe, affordable, quality, and effective vaccines therapeutics and diagnostics short the shorthand is vtds vaccines therapeutics and diagnostics by the way that first sentence is total junk factually inaccurate and just a bunch of lies so they're off to a good start continues we recognize the need for strengthening local and regional health product manufacturing capacities and cooperation as well as sustainable global and regional research and development networks to facilitate better access to VTDs globally, especially in developing countries, and underscore the importance of public-private partnership and technology transfer and knowledge sharing on voluntary and mutually agreed terms. We support the WHO mRNA vaccine technology transfer hub, as well as all of the spokes in all regions of the world with the objective of sharing technology and technical know-how on voluntary and mutually agreed terms. We welcome joint research and joint production of vaccines, including enhanced cooperation among developing countries. We acknowledge the importance of shared technical standards and verification methods under the framework of the IHR 2005, to facilitate seamless international travel, travel, interoperability, and recognizing digital solutions and non-digital solutions, including proof of vaccinations. Now, here's a little bit that, because you read that earlier in the quote, Matt, here's a, the little bit extra after this. We support continued international dialogue and collaboration on the establishment of trusted global digital health networks as part of the efforts to strengthen prevention and response to future pandemics that should capitalize and build on the success of the existing standards and digital COVID-19 certificates. 
Beautiful. That it's it's almost as if what we've been saying, Andrew, terrifying. <laughs> that that COVID nineteen is the entry point. It's it's the thin end of the wedge to install this global regime of enviro communo fascistic uh, governance. And what is being done here in the G twenty, signed on by the world's twenty most powerful nations. Um, is a commitment to Klaus Schwab's and the WEF's public-private partnership, their entire program. Public-private partnership. I know, I know. I mean, like you said, Andrew, word has gone out from head office, and now the 20 biggest stores better get in line, and they better start marketing accordingly and aggressively to this this, um, new this new marketing program, this new governance structure that has been put out by the WEF. This because is the product has been successful. Now, not successful in the way that we would measure success. No, so operationally about, successful. Exactly. Uh, like it's not been successful in terms of it's supposed to do what it's supposed to do, which yes. is prevent transmission, which it doesn't and prevent severe infection, which it doesn't and prevent death, which it doesn't because it's jacked up the excess mortality and all sorts of craziness with clots and myocarditis and attacking the ovaries. But here's how it's been successful. It's been financially successful. It's sold and it's accomplished the purpose of pushing this agenda. And so here you have head office has willingly created a product that they knew it's like they created us a phone Mm -hmm. that they knew would blow up in your face. And they market it in such a way where they said, you need to get this phone. There's no way you can get around without this phone. And they sold it and it was wildly successful, except Mm -hmm. it blew up in everyone's face and is now leading the way for the next wave of globalist tyranny. So it is, I mean, it is, it's like a movie. It is the plot of a movie unfolding before our eyes, utterly terrifying. Yeah. COVID has been the operational preparation of the environment uh, for the installation of a globalist regime and and that is just the fact of the matter it it covid has now given these governments the the predicate for what they wanted which is a an installation of this global regime and now they're putting in place technologies that will help them basically implement this in in society moving forward so they're trying their best to ensure that this covid pandemic would be a an opportunity that doesn't go to waste as far as it concerns their globalist agenda and this is straight out of the playbook set forth by klaus schwab in covid19 the great reset this is the implementation of it and the signing on of this by the world's 20 biggest nations and most powerful nations. So I think Andrew, we can at this point say the conspiracy theory is certainly conspiracy fact. And not only that, but it's being put into um, these foreign relationship uh, contracts and, uh, and, covenants that that these countries are making so it is a story that is absolutely groundbreaking it's it's historic and it's something that surprisingly has been 
covered very little by the mainstream media, especially in into what its implications are. Your thoughts? And, and I wanna, yeah, I want I want to highlight why that is, by the way. And they say it in the actual in in the White House release. They actually say it. So I just want to read this language really quick here because I remember reading this. We support the WHO mRNA vaccine technology transfer hub, as well as all of the spokes in all regions of the world with their objectives. So, I mean, we, we know what we know what a bike looks like. We know that at the center of the wheel is the hub, which is what connects to the frame. And then coming out from the hub are all the spokes that get to the, the outside of the rim. Now, what's that image here? that the hub reaches into the entire wheel. The whole wheel all the way around is connected to the hub and it's the spokes that actually help the wheel to spin properly, right? For anyone here who has any knowledge of bikes, if you have to true a wheel or if it's wobbly and it's not spinning straight, you need to adjust the spokes. You need to make sure that the spokes are straight and adjusted properly so that the wheel moves the way it's supposed to. So what they've just said is we support the fact that the WHO and really behind it, it's the, it's, it's it, the WHO, it's the United Nations, it's the International Bank of Settlements, it's the WEF, that that's the hub that what? That reaches everywhere. That's what they've just said. And they've said the White House says we support it. We support yeah. the fact that the hub reaches and grabs the whole wheel. This is the world. They said the all regions of the world. Mm -hmm. So we reach into the whole world. And so is there any surprise, one, that the legacy media would be quiet? No, because they're one of those folks. Yeah. They're reaching it. And number two, is it any surprise that our own country would function this way? We're going to see this in the second story after the interview with Aaron. We look at our country and our federal government has its hands in everything. Healthcare, mm -hmm. the academy, education, business, the media. So, so our government functions in the same way that the state wants to be the hub, and its spokes reach out and run Canada. Why would they do that? Because this is exactly what we're seeing on a global scale. Mm -hmm. They're just doing what they're told to do. This is a, di a digital dictatorship, a la Yuval Noah Harari. That is what this is turning out to be. And essentially, they're trying to establish a program of global citizenship that would allow you to travel from country to country across the world Um and basically what your new passport is, so what you have to have to be declared a citizen in this new globalist regime is updated vaccines. That is now your new ticket into um, global citizenry and it, to partake in uh, you know, these various, as they would see them, privileges, right? Because they believe in positive law. If, if you, if you ha have an understanding of positive rights, those are essentially uh, privileges. They're not God-ordained, pre-civic. They're essentially priv privileges granted you by the government. So they can take it or uh, take it away from you or give it to you uh, as they choose. And that, again, will We'll see that when we get into our second story as well, but we should now turn over to our interview with Dr. Dr. Aaron Rock from Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. Uh, he's a friend of the show, a friend of ours uh, personally, and we definitely are interested in talking to him about the upcoming Mission of God conference.
So before, just before we do really quick, I got to throw this in for our audience because they might be asking the question, okay, this is all terrifying and dystopian and what do we do? And just really quick, the antidote to this is we need to start seeing the importance of thinking smaller and locally. And so mm -hmm. if you hear that and you're terrified, what am I going to do? Let me tell you how you combat it. You build a strong family, you get connected with a strong local church, you get connected with strong local farmers and a local community of people, you get involved in local politics, right? The answer to globalism is not combating them on a global level. They have the institutions, they have the mechanisms, they have the world leaders. You're not going to be able to fight on that level. So what you do is you start small and local and you make a strong beachhead of a community, churches, businesses, yeah, and so that's how you fight and push yeah. back against this kind of globalism. So think, do think that. It, yeah, think of it as as a covenantal globalism or localism. Pardon me. Um, that is basically the the antidote, as you said, Andrew, to this uh, globalist. Uh, like I said, enviro communo fascistic um, plan because. A lot of what's being done can by by these globalists can be thwarted at the local levels, and that's why we've put forward initiatives like the CTC, right? Because so much of what's going on um, in schools in your town, there it's done at that school board level. So all this stuff has to be filtered down to the local level, and we, if getting active at that local level, we can stop a lot of a lot of this stuff and it's important that we do get active so it's crazy it's unbelievable that this dystopian nightmare is is a reality but nevertheless here it is and this is why we think it's important that churches and christians get involved in this moment speaking prophetically against what's going on because if we don't if we don't bring our world view to bear on these things, then this is obviously going to happen under cloak of darkness because our, our legacy media is bought and paid for by the very government that wants to install this, this fascistic regime. And that is truly despicable. Now, before we get into the interview with Aaron, we want to tell you that the interview is brought to you by our friends over at Bull Bitcoin. Born out of the desire to separate money from the state, Bitcoin epitomizes freedom money, an uncensorable network programmed around digital scarcity where the individual is in full control and accountable for his own property. Bull Bitcoin, Canada's most trusted Bitcoin exchange since 2013, is a 100% self-funded company led and operated by incorruptible activists for individual liberties and freedom. At Bull Bitcoin, security and privacy are priority. Customers' funds are transferred directly to their Bitcoin wallet in their own possession. With Bull Bitcoin, you never run the risk of losing your money. You own the money. Sign up at mission.bullbitcoin.com LCC and get started with your account's creation today. Contact Bull's best in-the-business customer support team at any point to request assistance throughout the process. Take control of your money mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC. We are pleased to have with us on the Liberty Dispatch, Dr. Reverend, Pastor, Mr. Professor, Farmer, 
Aaron Rock. I feel like we could just keep adding more things the more I thought about it. Uh, Aaron is the lead pastor at Harvest Bible Church and the fellow for church leadership at the Ezra Institute. He has served as a youth ministry intern, an associate pastor, a youth pastor, a church planter, a college and seminary professor, a fire chaplain, a conference speaker, and as already said, a lead pastor. Aaron has a BTH from Heritage College, an MDiv from Moody Seminary, a THM in preaching from Wilfrid Laurier, and a demon in spiritual formation from Liberty University. That works really well for our show, Liberty University. All right, this is, I didn't plan this out. He and his wife, and Aaron didn't plan this out either when he went to get that demon from Liberty University, knowing that he'd be on the dispatch a number of years later. He and his wife, Susie, have been married since 1995. And Susie's wonderful, by the way. It's great to get to know her a little bit more mm -hmm. last weekend. Together, they have five adult children, and much to their pleasure, all of them have come to faith in Christ and serve him in church ministries. Aaron's podcast, Leadership Now, is also on the FLF network, and both my wife and I enjoy his insight and wisdom. In fact, she listens to him more than she does our podcast because I Which live is with fair. her. She it's gives you all your content, right? She exactly. gives you all your content, so she doesn't exactly. even I have to I, listen I, to the podcast. I would mind if he was a heretic, but because I listen every week as well, I fully understand why she would. Mm -hmm. Aaron, brother, thank you so much for joining us on the Liberty Dispatch. I've been looking forward to our time together, so it's great to have you with us. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it, too. I was actually feeling quite exhausted when you were reading through my uh bio there i'd sort of forgotten half that stuff but um <laughs> i guess i am getting to be a bit of an old man and uh certainly i've been walking with the lord for a long time so i've been privileged to be able to serve him in a, in a variety of roles however incompetent i am in and of, in and of myself but i am uh, happy to be here and if i can be of any assistance in terms of helping people to think through the issues i'll consider it a, a valuable use of my time and I just want so, to say for our listeners, Aaron, despite leading a very large church, has been a wonderful brother, has given of his time and his resources to really train and equip young men. So I want to just give praise to you, brother, for all the work that you do there, because I know you are a very busy guy, yet you are definitely a, a, a valuable father in the faith as well. So that's very you. important. Thank you. So, Aaron, as I was reading through your bio, the you know exhausting list of accomplishment <laughs> and goals, as you put it, your words, not mine, there's one thing I didn't notice in that bio, and I didn't notice climatologists or ecologists. Now, Matt will, Matt will address that in a bit, um, but the, the, the kind of the question I have has to do with the Mission of God conference that's coming up on December 10th having everything to do with climate change and really the right response of Christians to what's happening. So my first question, Aaron, is based on what I've heard from you on your podcast and based on what I know, why is it that you are such a raging climate denier? <laughs> and That's a loaded you, question. Can you, can, you, can you please justify the fact that you're neither following the science nor trusting the science? Right. So that's what we call a question with uh, a lot of loaded premises, right? So now i got to debunk the premises to the question to make it a proper question. But yeah, I, I, appreciate, um, I appreciate your humor there. So I, I, I'm just looking out at the world around me and I'm looking at all the various 
culture wars we're fighting from vax mandates to status control over the church to the abortion question to the climate change issues to the transgender issues and on and on and on all these things that concern us in culture and the reality is each and every one of them is laced with false religious overtones so the climate issue is not really about the climate. The climate issue is not fundamentally about the environment. And we can speak to those issues theologically because God does provide us with a lot of insight, especially in the opening chapters of the Bible, in terms of our responsibility to exercise dominion over the earth as vice regents under his authority. So we are interested in stewardship, we're obviously uh, not interested in wasting the resources that he has given to us. But if you actually get into the climate change narrative, you'll quickly discover that it is a, a religion of, of sorts and increasingly is being you know, exposed in, in that regard. Obviously, when it, when it comes to the, the actual science, not, not the political science, because there's a lot of that in there, but the science of climate change, there's different opinions among scientists as to mankind's contributions to the current state of the world in terms of its ecology. And when we do our conference here in Windsor, you know, we'll touch on that briefly, but it's not fundamentally a conference about the science of climate change. We're more concerned about the religion of climate change. And so in that respect, I think you know, in light of my my role and my position and my calling, I'm I'm certainly interested and more than qualified to to speak to those issues. So, Aaron, you you, you talk about the religion that is at the heart of this uh, climate change movement, and that was kind of going to be my follow up question to Andrew's original question: Is you know, as a pastor, shouldn't you just be st- sticking to the gospel? You know, uh, wh- why 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 is the Mission of God Conference a Christian think tank? You know, a conference for that. Why is that dedicated to climate and the cultural crisis? You know, mm. how does that actually affect the gospel? Shouldn't we just be preaching the gospel and let that be? But why, considering you've said um, there's a there's an underlying religious presupposition here, maybe you could unpack that underlying religious presupposition and then speak to why it's important that Christians give that biblical alternative to this enviro-communofascistic new religion. Sure, yeah. Well, obviously, I am a minister of the gospel. I was ordained as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is I am interested and very concerned about people's eternal salvation. I'm concerned that people acknowledge their sinfulness, their rebellion against God, And I I want them to acknowledge that in and of themselves, they're incapable of earning or meriting or somehow attaining eternal life with God or even forgiveness for that matter. We're grateful that the Lord Jesus Christ condescended into this world and lived a perfect life and died and was resurrected three days later and therefore has made propitiation for our sins and has atoned for them. We're grateful that as we have exercised faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we've been born again, regenerate, and we do have eternal hope and we are new new creatures in Christ. I want the listeners to hear that. 
so that they understand that I understand that sharp point to the gospel, that there does need to be regeneration. Uh, people do need to be born again. But they're, uh, what I would maybe react to, I guess, is what you would call red-letter Christianity, that somehow just those words, uh, the words of Christ and the words of Christ exclusively as it pertains to salvation are important. In fact, the reality is, is even if you only had the red letters of Christ, Christ is speaking to issues outside of, of, of conversion. So as we look at the whole of Scripture, we look at the, the, the prophet's interest in justice, for example, justice in the here and now for the proverbial widow and the orphan. We look back at the Decalogue, which speaks in the first four commandments to our relationship with God and the last six commandments. It has a lot to do with our relationships with one another, not to, not to murder, not to covet, not to take one's neighbor's wife or property. So when we look at the whole of scripture, the word of God is concerned with our eternal state, with making sure that we have repented of our sins and trusted in Christ exclusively for our salvation. But it's also chocked full of teaching and instruction and admonition as to how we're supposed to live our lives out in the here and now. Now, going back even beyond that, we have the the mandates, the dominion mandates of um, of Genesis, where you know we're we're called to to exercise dominion. It's like, what does it mean to be made in the imago dei, the image of God? Well, in part, it means to exercise dominion, to represent, to represent God into the world, and especially in a broken world, that's a pretty pretty high calling. Part of that is having dominion over our possessions. Uh, managing our finances properly, uh, making sure we have a proper understanding of uh, social structures, making sure we have a proper understanding of marriage and parental responsibility and family life and all these things in the here and now. So it, it is unfortunate. And I would just say that I grew up in this tradition where many of us were sort of taught that the gospel is is simply an evacuation plan. It's simply about getting saved and getting to heaven. And because of that, I think for many generations, Christians, especially in the in the evangelical and reformed world, have largely withdrawn from any sort of engagement with the broader culture. Uh, what has happened as a result of that is the culture has chosen to step into our world. And many of our politicians and decision makers and bureaucrats are essentially functioning as clergymen or clergywomen or clergy its for those that would deny gender, um, clergy people, high priests and priestesses over over this sort of new, uh, I would call it neo-pagan global religion of climate change. And if you actually listen, I've, I've listened a little bit to the quote unquote experts, and it's not just about getting the temperature right or being a good steward of your possessions or not unnecessarily polluting the environment. There's a lot of messianic language, a lot of utopian language, a lot of value language that you'll find in the climate change movement. And in addition to that, there is a lot of discussion about who has authority over who to do what. So there, there's various aspects of, of um, what we would call religion integrated into this broader discussion about climate change. So that's why I'm interested. I'm interested because I'm a human being. I'm a creature of planet Earth. And I think I have a responsibility to 
not just point people forward to God's eternal kingdom, but also to help them to live out the fullness of the kingdom mandates now. Mm-hmm. And that's so important because, as as you've talked about, we can be thankful for evangelicals and different gospel-centered movements on um, how well they articulated the centrality of justification by faith alone in Christ alone, by the grace of God alone. We can be very, very, very thankful for those things. But the the downside is you can end up truncating the gospel of Jesus Christ to just soteriology, just salvation. And as you've just mentioned there, the the gospel of Jesus, as preached in, in the gospels, uh, is the gospel of the coming king, the king Jesus Christ, and the inaugura- inauguration of his kingdom on earth. So the gospel is actually about basilia, or kingdom, not just about soteria, as Dr. Uh, P. Andrew Sandlin has said. So that's really, really important for us to understand is we're being remade in the image of Christ in the Great Commission. We're recommissioned in a new uh, dominion mandate to go out in the world and to live as Christians. And I think that's important for our listeners to understand. This actually gets at the heart of what it means to be a Christian living in the world. And that's why, again, I'm so thankful that you're speaking into this space and others like you, like Dr. Joe Boot. I'm glad that you've, you know, Aaron, I'm glad you've touched on the religious nature of this. I think this is something that people people much wiser than all of us have, have seen this and have known this for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. People like Francis Schaeffer, they've, understa- they've understood this reality for a while, that, I mean, neutrality is a myth, but more than that, what we're dealing with is a competing religion. Mm-hmm. But I think it's become completely unavoidable like it's out in the open coming out of the last two and a half years with the covid madness that what we're dealing with is a brand new religion which is really an old religion which is this weird statist scientism kind of religion where we can just peg all the different elements of it we understand that the state is god we understand that the health officials or in this case the scientific medical bureaucrats are the priests who tell us what we must do and not do to be clean and saved. The legacy media functions as the prophets. In the COVID era, the vaccine was salvation. You know, Mm -hmm. individualism and individual rights and responsibilities are original sin, so we can see that. So the question I have is how should Christians, and, and this is something we're going to address at the conference, how should Christians respond not only to the claims made by this competing religion, but also in terms of their own preparedness and their own building of strong churches, strong communities, and dealing with it. And with you know, with this in mind, when I look at the scriptures, I see that the apostles, even the prophets in the Old Testament, they were clear at calling out false gods for who they were, right? The gods of the nations are made of silver and gold. They have eyes but don't see. They have ears but don't hear. And everyone who worships them becomes like them. And so they call out false gods. Sometimes a little bit of mockery in the way the false gods are dealt with. But they're clear in saying, your God is no God. You must bow to the true God. That's the biblical mm-hmm. model we see, Old and New Testament. Right. So how must Christians respond to this competing religion and what do we have to do to really be ready for the days ahead and what it, what it appears to be the further imposition of this status scientist 
climate religion upon us? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's important for people to be able to spot the lies and to understand what, what they're being told. And that means that we have to, first of all, present a positive biblical view of stewardship. So just, just so that our listeners don't misunderstand, this world is not ours. It belongs to God. And God has stewarded it to us. He stewarded the land, the water, the fish, the birds of the air, the cattle, the livestock. The, the livestock belong to him. The rivers belong to him. The trees belong to him. The coal belongs to him. The natural gas, it's all the Lord's. And we're grateful that he's stewarded it to us. And we are permitted to use it. You know, we're permitted to use the resources of the land. Now, what we're not permitted to do is to unnecessarily destroy what doesn't belong to us. So if, for example, if I, you know, a, a small analogy, if I say, um, you know, hey, could I borrow your lawnmower? You're like, yeah, sure, you can use my lawnmower. And I, you know, I, I, I use your lawnmower and I, when I return it to you, it's out of gas and the cord's broken off and there's dents in it. And it's rusty and I've, you know, left it out in the rain or banged it into rocks. You know, you would, you would rightly be concerned about that. And you'd be able to, you know, accuse me of being a poor steward of the possessions that you've temporarily uh, lended to me. So we, we're not advocates of going out and, you know, fishing every last fish out of every lake and just clear cutting forests and indiscriminately shooting animals and, you know, driving the, uh, you know, the biggest, baddest uh, vehicles we could pro- possibly find. I mean, a reasonable person would much prefer to sit at the the edge of a peaceful, clear lake surrounded by trees with birds flying overhead than sitting at the edge of a a, a deforested area where the the, the water is filled with crude oil or something like that. We, We understand that, that we should be good stewards of our, uh, material resources, our material resources. And there's going to be some accountability for that. We're good stewards of our money. We're good stewards, hopefully, of our children. So we're, we, we are very much interested in helping people to understand that as a steward, you don't own it. Ownership is the enemy of stewardship. It belongs to the Lord. And so you want to steward your possessions properly. But that's not really the message of the climate agenda. The climate agenda is an agenda that's embedded with moral language and some of the moral imperatives some of the moral like do this don't do that of the climate agenda are actually in direct contradiction to either the mandates of scripture or the permissive passages of scripture so for example you'll you'll notice that there's an increasing emphasis and i'd like to predict that it's going to be uh, more and more part of the climate agenda there's an increasing emphasis on depopulation. It's like making people feel bad for having kids. God has said, be fruitful and multiply. He didn't cap that number. Even if you run the math, which I've done in some of my podcasts, it's absolutely false that the world's overpopulated. But that's, that is part of the agenda. We have Jane Goodall, you know, the famous ape lady. I, th- I think she said that she wants to see the population reduced to around a half a billion, you know, 500 million people. So there's an increasing emphasis on, you know, doing the right thing by not having children. Well, that's a direct contradiction to what God has commanded to be fruitful and multiply. There's an increasing emphasis on veganism. Well, Galatians dealt with that one. You know, we're, we're permitted to eat meat. We're permitted to uh, not just uh, eat, um, 
vegetation, but we're permitted to eat meat. I mean, obviously all things in moderation, just like we're permitted to drink alcohol, but all things in moderation, you don't want to abuse any particular food source. That is another aspect um, in terms of, in terms of, um, uh, you know, driving electric vehicles. I mean, I suppose if I had a, a hybrid, that'd be my best, my best pick. You know, if you had a, a vehicle that's partially run on, on gasoline and partially electricity, I, for personally, I would like that. So I'm not opposed to some new technology, some greener technologies, but tied to all this is the, are these moral imperatives that you, like you're, you're a bad person. If you're having kids, you're a bad person. If you're eating meat, you know, you're a bad person. If you're burning fossil fuels, God's word doesn't teach that so that you can kind of see when a new religion is developing, when they are coming up with more, their own moral imperatives. And those moral imperatives are either in opposition to, or in addition to what God has said in his word on a deeper level, it's heavily materialistic. It's, it's rooted in fear. It's seeking to promote a, a utopian world. It's like we can fix the world. We can save the world. We can extend our existence. If you just do a, B, C, D, E, F, G. And there's almost this, this idolatrous connection to the world around us. Like, you know, God forbid that we ever die. You know, God forbid that we ever expose ourselves to uh, temperature fluctuations. God forbid that we ever expose ourselves to, to disease. So there's this hyper-protectionistic, um, hyper-utopian message underlining the climate agenda, inextricably linked to this notion that humanity in and of itself, and apart from submission to God, can fix the world. It's actually a, 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 a demonic eschatology. We don't need the king to rule. We can figure it out. We don't need to concern ourselves with the full inauguration of the kingdom of God. We can figure it out. We can, we can uh, sort our way through this or figure our way through this or mandate our way through this. So there, there's a lot to be said in there. So we, we are advocating for a robust the Christians develop and pastors preach a robust theology of stewardship and dominion, but we push back against man's laws that contradict God's laws, especially in terms of creational mandates. And we push back against this, this new eschatology, this notion that somehow we can fix the world by ourselves without consulting God's word, without repentance and submission and regeneration to God's a uh, person. These are the things that that concern us. And we need to keep talking about, you know, all of these things. There's implications for authority. There's implications for our eschatology. There's implications for our soteriology. There's implications for family and marriage and diet and the ability to work and on and on and on and on. It's all inextricably linked together. Mm -hmm. And that really gets at that religious core of this movement and why Christians being obedient to scripture must tear down every stronghold that erects itself against uh, the knowledge of Christ and his kingdom. So that's why this this issue is not abstruse. It's very, very important for Christians to understand and navigate, especially given, as you've said, the kind of post-humanistic, anti-humanistic uh 
tendencies and then, you know, even the neo-Malthusian push of this movement that has led to much destruction if we just look at the abortion movement and everything that was behind that neo-Malthusianism, which, by the way, all their predictions are wrong. Nevertheless, it has not stopped these people from embedding this agenda in our culture, in our culture and the institution. So I'm so thankful that you guys are actually taking on this subject that is very, very critical today. And then um, you're also, you, you know, coming together to spend much time to think about it. Can you tell our listeners a, a little bit about the Mission of God conference and what they can expect and who's all there? Give them the details if they want to know more about it so they can sign up today because I know s- tickets are still available, but they will be going um, quickly if people uh, don't act now. Yeah. So it's on December the 10th. So it's just a one day conference starts at nine o'clock and I think it goes to four o'clock. I can't recall the exact time. And there's going to be opportunities for us to worship collectively. Um, I'm going to be speaking on on climate matters uh, at the conference. Uh, Andre Schutten, who is a very skilled lawyer with ARPA Canada, will also be one of our keynote speakers. And of course, Dr. Joe Boot who is the, the, the head and the face of the Ezra Institute. So this is being hosted by Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, but it's actually an Ezra Institute event. It's super cheap, it's 35 bucks. I think we've already sold about 350 tickets, but we have some more room to accommodate people. And it's just gonna be one very good loaded up day. If people wanna stay over into Sunday, that would be fine too. Dr. Boot's gonna be preaching at both services on uh, Sunday morning at our church. And of course, there's going to be opportunity for, for, you know, dialogue and questions uh, along the way. So if people want to enjoy the, the, you know, one of the warmest places in Canada, they can make the trip down to to Windsor. If they want to sign up for it, they can um, uh, jump on the Ezra Institute website and, uh, and register there. We'd be delighted to include them in the event. And as if all of that wasn't enough, will also be there at the mission of god conference i look forward <laughs> to being wow. there we i know right like that's we should start doubling the price Based <laughs> you know on what right you there, know what dollars I might, I might think about coming. It's only a one day, so it makes the travel from Winnipeg uh, pretty yeah, costly. Andrew, you're, you're Andrew will definitely be there. Come. <laughs> I, I'll drive out to Winnipeg and bring him back. I'll burn all those fossil fuels just to. <laughs> So we'll be there. So to our audience, go to the Ezra Institute website right on the main page. You can click more information for the mission of God. Mm-hmm. $35 is is so little. And the link will be in the description. Yeah, the link will be in the description for the event. So people tickets can just are available. Um, and again, if you are there, if you plan on coming out, come say hi to us. We're going to have a table set up. We will have lots of resistance coffee available, including the tree hugger blend, because as our boys as resistance would say, you don't have to be a green Nazi to be pro-environment. You can be a conservative Christian and also see the value of stewarding what the Lord has given us. So it's going to be a great time. Aaron, thanks again so much for joining us on the Liberty Dispatch. I look forward to seeing you in just a few weeks. Hey, we're looking forward to it too. And uh, by the way, if you're listening to this and you're an American, we love Americans. We're so thankful for the many Americans that have uh, stood up with us over the last couple of years. Um, Windsor is a border city to Detroit, Michigan. So we're not, we're just 10 minutes from the uh, the border. 
And if you if you want to come in, you could fly into Detroit or whatnot and just scoot across the the bridge and you'd be at our church in about 10 minutes. So if there's any Americans that would like to come to the the conference, you're welcome to do that as well. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Aaron. Thanks for your great friendship of the show. And we just appreciate your ministry and all its many facets. So God bless you and your ministry. And uh, we'll we'll look forward to seeing you and talking to you again. All right. Thanks, brothers. Talk soon. Bye for now. Well, that was an awesome opportunity to speak to a man that I know you and I both uh, really do love. And he's uh, been so gracious with uh, his friendship, his time and uh, his mentorship. And we're, we're just so thankful for him. And that was a wonderful interview that just shows, despite not having that ecology degree, he is uh, more than capable of speaking on these issues because he is uh, guided by the revelational authority of uh, the Word of God. And uh, we're so thankful for men like um, Dr. Rock, like Dr. Boot, and like Andre Schutten, dealing with these very real, very live issues and dealing it from with it from a biblical worldview, because, yeah, not only are we against a lot of what's being done in these movements, but as biblical Christians thinking scripturally through through all things, we actually have an alternative to that. And um, that's the stewardship that Aaron so uh, so wonderfully spoke about. So thank you so much, uh, Dr. Rock, for coming on. We hope you guys were encouraged by that conversation. And uh, we definitely want you to go over to the Mission of God website uh, so you can check out, or the Ezra website, so you can check out the Mission of God conference. And if you are in the area, please do consider um, going to it. I know you will be absolutely blessed by all three of those wonderfully talented men uh, bringing their perspective to this this hot, hot topic. So for anyone who's been paying attention, last week's public inquiry revealed that big banks are nothing more than woke money keepers for the left, ready to punish those who dissent from the mainstream narrative. These banks often feel more like being on a Marxist university campus than being in an actual bank. How can they really offer you the best investment advice when they are driven by the latest progressive ideology? If you're fed up and want some real investment advice, minus all the corporate socialism and woke capitalism, then give my friends a rock link at call. Well, that, that last sentence sounded really terrible. If you're fed up and want some real investment advice, minus all the corporate socialism and woke capitalism, give my friends at Rocklink a call, 905-631-5462, or send them an email, info at rocklink.com. That's info at rocklink.com. Our last story for the day has everything to do with the federal government amending Bill C-21 to ban semi-automatic weapons. This is this is breaking. This is just a day old. We've already talked on the show about the handgun freeze that the federal government has now put into effect, but there have been some rather dangerous developments regarding our federal government and firearms. So we need to talk about Bill C-21. This is how it's marketed. It's called an act to amend certain acts and to make certain consequential amendments to firearms and regulatory amendments to advance the national freeze on handguns are part of a comprehensive strategy to address gun violence and strengthen gun control in Canada. 
There has been a breaking amendment to the bill with a liberal NDP and block coalition basically ready to ram it on through. So this is the proposed amendment to the bill. It includes a ban on, quote, firearms that is a rifle or shotgun that is capable of discharging centerfire ammunition in a semi-automatic manner and that is designed to accept a detachable cartridge magazine with a capacity greater than five cartridges of the type for which the firearms was originally designed. These new prohibitions will include, and we're going to list some of these because I'm sure some of our listeners own some of these particular firearms, these include SKS, Tavor, X95, and all AR-180 and variants, Canuck bullpup shotguns, Crusader Arms, Caltech Sub-2000, SU-16, RBD, RFB, JR Carbine, Chris Vector, Ruger, P- Ruger PC Carbine, Norinco T97 NSR, Benelli M4, and countless more. You may actually know someone who owns one of these particular firearms. And these are firearms purchased legally by responsible Canadian owners for sport. And yes, even for hunting. Now we're going to link to an article that we shared months ago when the handgun freeze was first announced. Basically in this article, you'll see that throughout history, whenever country bans or confiscates weapons from the people shortly after that, the state becomes tyrannical and even begins to murder their own people. It is also the case that everywhere in history you see tyrants coming against their own people. It was a disarmed people. A disarmed populace is open to control and totalitarian rule. This is the danger of the legislation. Taking firearms away from responsible owners only opens them up up to more violence and more state control. It doesn't do anything to curb gun violence because mm-hmm. newsflash, people who would commit crimes and break the law are going to acquire their weapons illegally. Uh, duh. They're not yeah. if they don't follow the, the murder laws, they're not gonna follow the gun laws either. It's the only person this harms is the responsible Canadian gun owner mm-hmm. who for sport or for hunting or for whatever reason they cho- they choose in a responsible, lawful manner owns and operates firearms that that's who this is punishing and why would we want to punish those people well can't be for any good reason that's for sure yeah and this also is comes in conjunction with the fact that uh, statistics were coming out again from statistics canada on yet another year of the murder rate increasing in canada so it's becoming harder and harder for Canadian citizens to own, legally own and possess firearms at the same time it's becoming more and more dangerous in our society. And I I just want to go back to the recap that you gave people at the start, Andrew, because I think it's very, very powerful. You said the state has their hands in every Canadian sphere. Check. The state imposes lawless mandates to crush Canadians. Check. And then the state actively works to disarm Canadians. Check. And if you add to that, the state is now uh, the benefactor of all media across the nation of 150 of the largest media outlets in our country, as well as they're putting in legislation to actively control and censor online dissemination of news media. 
if you add all these things up, it's only going in one horrific, dystopian, tyrannical direction. So that's the thing that we have to understand. If you ever read the Declaration of Independence, what you'll notice is they they give all the statements that you'll be you'll be very familiar with about um in the preamble and everything um but what what actually is the bulk of the letter is actually a long list of abuses by government that has led to the moment of the necessity of declaring independence from the British Empire. That's what the bulk of that uh, uh, Declaration of Independence is about. And I mean, honestly, a lot of that stuff seems childish in comparison to what we're seeing uh, happening in our day and age. And that is why I think it's incumbent on Canadians to continue to push back and fight back against this tyrannical overreach. And then the disarming of free Canadian citizens who lawfully possess these weapons. The reality of the situation is gun ownership and gun possession does not. There's It's a not equal sign, equal gun violence. Um, because in the state, some of the most heavily armed populations have some of the least amount of gun violence. Um, and what's it, definitely the case, you, you have some outliers. So you have some yeah. outliers where you'll have certain states or cities where you have a high gun prevalence and a high gun violence. So what we need to do is we need to look on the other end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And it is the case most definitely that the cities that have the highest crime rate. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference between gun violence and crime rate because a lot of gun violence is self-defense. So yeah. you got to parse it out. The cities in the United States that have the highest gun crime rate, which is a legal use of weapons in the United States, they all have a number of things in common. They're all Democrat controlled. They're all gun free zones and they have some of the strictest gun legislation. We're talking about Detroit, Chicago, Baltimore, uh, Oakland. These are the cities that have the highest crime, gun crime violence rate. And these are gun-free zones and they have the strictest legislation. And so this is, this is not a, a mystery. This is indisputable that when you say to people that lawful gun ownership is not allowed, you will see a high degree of gun violence, illegal, lawless gun violence carried out because the criminals won't play by the rules and responsible citizens who would otherwise defend themselves are now incapable of defending themselves. And that is, that is, that is a, a cold, hard fact that these gun-free leftist run, highly restrictive cities have some of the worst. And in many cases, they top the charts in the United States for illegal gun violence and gang violence and lawless murders. That's, yeah, that's where this goes. And Toronto is a really good example for us where, you know, here we have a city that what have we seen in the last 10 years? We've seen a steady increase in gun violence. And it's not because people have been buying more guns. Mm -hmm. The increase isn't because people are buying more guns and buying more ammunition in Toronto. It's because the culture's moving a certain way. It's because things are unfolding 
and it's not like people are able to defend themselves and it's not like they're getting more weapons. So you have more mm -hmm. crime. So yeah. there's no, you're right. There's a do not equal sign there. The, 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 the problem I I've said it before, but the heart of the human problem is the problem with the human heart. It's sin. That's the issue. Banning a tool that can be used for virtue or violence it doesn't actually get at the root of the cause. But yet, that's all secularists have. They just think that human beings are totally malleable. And if you control their uh, environment enough by just fudging the inputs here and there, you can actually create all new human beings. But we know that not to be the case. And we know that where the implementation of these laws are put in place, they're often absolutely totally and utterly ineffective because um the, the shooting that just took place down in in colorado that was colorado has strict gun laws and also they had um a red flag law on the books and this this individual who was involved in the shooting he had previously uh, held his family up at gunpoint, yet nobody, cops or anybody else, actually put it, put in place these red flag laws. So again, a lot of these laws are used to to get rid of lawful gun ownership and are totally ineffective at stopping the malintentions of a bad actor in society. And that's the reality of the situation. Is again. Um, this is a perfect example of the government who believes that you don't have God-given rights exercising their, their God-like authority in society. We would as Christians, I don't, I'm not a gun owner. I, I don't shoot guns. I don't go hunting. I'm, it's not my thing, but I still would defend someone's God-given right to defend themselves in that way and to use those things lawfully because I don't think it's the purview of the state to restrict people to do those things. But again, as I said at the top of the program, the, our modern secular state believes that it is God. It believes in positive rights there that are essentially that essentially amount to privileges, and you can see this reflected poor, sadly in our charter. So they give you the privilege to own guns so they can revoke it whenever they see fit. You don't actually have that right. As Justin Trudeau has said, we've played that on previous programs. Um, and we would say, absolutely not. That's garbage. You have a God-given right to defend yourself, defend your family, defend your property, and to use these things in lawful ways. All human action is governed by the law of God. And obviously, his law absolutely unequivocally condemns violent murder of individuals with guns or any other instrument. Um, but that doesn't take away, you know, th that instruments and tools are used poorly doesn't take away the actual god-given right that that underlies that so like i said though it's not really my thing i don't use guns i don't have them um i still believe biblically that that right exists and in fact despite what some people might say jesus the meek and mild jesus instructs his disciples to go into towns armed for their own protection so two swords yeah Take two swords. The passages. Take two exactly. Swords. Exactly. I think, I think that our neighbors to the south, the the framers of the American Constitution, understand something that really makes what you said about bad actors being rather distressing, and that is that yes, 
bad actors are the reason why it is important that we are able to defend ourselves with all the tunes to the tools and the means in a lawful manner. But what our friends to the South historically have understood is that the worst of the bad actors is a tyrannical state, right? The worst of the bad actors is not the neighbor. It's not the gang member. It's not the desperate person when the economy collapses. The baddest of all actors is the one who has been given the authority to bear the sword. This is the state. And our neighbors to the South in the framing of their constitution enshrined a second amendment right because they knew that people had a God-given right to defend themselves. And many times in history, we've clearly seen that how people must defend themselves is against tyrannical governments. What happened in Russia, in Germany, in Cambodia, in China, in the last hundred years happened in part because the population was completely disarmed. And so once the state begins its totalitarian march and embraces full-on tyranny, the people have no recourse. They have no ability to defend themselves. And so the state just marches on in. Our neighbors to the South historically have understood that because they know that the worst actor of all is the state. And this is what makes it so, so terrifying here in Canada is that the people who have the potential to become the worst of all actors, the same one who shut down businesses and imprisoned pastors, the same ones who said you're not allowed to fly in or out of the country, are the ones who are now saying, oh, and by the way, we're coming for a whole slew of your weapons. Like, understand what's going on here, people. What's going on is not a benevolent state saying, oh, no, we want to rid our country of gun violence, so we'll get rid of them and then we'll provide all the protection. That is not what's going on here. What's going on here is the disarming of the population, a weakening of the population, and really the inculcating of a worldview that says you are not responsible for yourself and for your well-being. Right? Mm -hmm. What have we seen in the last three years? Uh, you don't have to worry about your health. We got that. You don't have to worry about money. We got that. Don't worry about church. We got that. What are they saying now? You don't have to take responsibility for your safety. Mm -hmm. We got that. That makes a weak and that makes a weak population that is susceptible to coercion and control and tyranny. And that's what this is. This is a play for a larger managerial state for more tyrannical control and to squish people and say, we, we are God, we are God and we will have our hands in everything. Mm -hmm. And we don't even want you, you know, we don't, we don't want you pesky individuals. You're not allowed to exercise informed medical consent. So you're certainly not allowed to defend yourself from bad actors. That's, that's what's happening here. That's the play from the liberals, the block and the NDP. And the reality is I'll be, I'll be totally honest here. I'll say this, the conservative party, if they weren't concerned that their base would utterly abandon them, I'm almost certain that all the people in the conservative party would be for it as well. They're not principled. So this mm -hmm. is the entire governmental apparatus in Canada, save for a few small parties that are the fringe minorities with unacceptable views. Mm -hmm. This, this is what our state wants to impose. So we need to be aware that this is happening, which like we already said, you know, we said this earlier, the importance of thinking locally, thinking you are responsible men 
You are responsible for yourselves. Move out of your parents' basement, right? For the in the name of everything <laughs> sacred. Get out of your parents' basement. Be responsible for yourself. Work, clean up after yourselves and have a house. Find a woman, marry her, have a whole bunch of kids and work hard to provide for them. That's your job. Provide for them, care for them, find a good church, serve in this church, be involved in this church, bless the community around you. It is your job to take care of yourself and your family, and it is your job to protect them. However you can do so in a biblical, lawful manner, you are responsible. You are prophet, priest, and king in your home. Do your job. Find a good church. Find like-minded men that are not going to coddle you and 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 make you and just treat you like a baby. They're not going to infanticide you, right? Like, no, no, no. Be a man. Be responsible. That's your job. That's your calling. Absolutely. And it's issues like this, Andrew, that I think it's really important for us to exercise clear biblical thinking um, when it comes to these things. Because as you've said, the fact of the reality is protecting and providing is what God has given to men. He's given them the responsibility. Therefore, he's given them the authority within the household to do those very same things. And if, if government is going to interject themselves in between either of those things, they are setting themselves up as anti-Christ, anti-God's word, because those things are given to men within the sphere of the ho home to do. And that's why this is really con uh, concerning. This is why I think whether you're a big gun user or you're not, um, we have to be concerned about the 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 continued direction, right? Uh, going back to the Declaration of Independence, they, they say that it's only after a long train of abuses that they've got to this point. That's So it's this continued direction. Um, faith is like, uh, you know, faithfulness in the same direction over a long period of time. That's what we're calling for. But the uh, the, the reverse is also true. This, this, um, this unfaithful antichrist spirit is the going in the same direction over a long period of time. So it's really showing itself um, to be evident in our society. And we ought to not spiritual uh, spiritualize away all this stuff, but we also, we should take this as and heed this warning and, and read the story that we're in, read the time that we're in through a biblical lens, uh, lest we find ourselves incapable of doing those things that God's given us uh, the, the task of doing, which is providing and protecting our family as we ought to do according to God's law. So important stories. Um, we, we have to get involved in standing up and pushing back, and that's why the LCC exists. Yeah, and we we need your help to do that. I mean, we're we're in that time of year now. We're at the end of November. We're getting into December. This is the time of year where organizations are thinking about fundraising. They're thinking about not only meeting their goals for the end of the year, which the Lord has been kind to us here at the Liberty Coalition, but thinking ahead for what we want to accomplish in the coming year and what that's going to require. 
And the truth is we have some very exciting and ambitious goals for next year. Goals like hitting biblical sexuality sermon Sunday, even bigger than we did last year. Goals like adding more shows. Goals like tapping people to do our own journalism and op-eds. Goals like moving to something subscription-based where we can continue to offer all the same content we have for free, but giving more extended interviews, bonus material behind a paywall. And I won't say too much about this, but being able to offer some sweet, sweet swag for joining our club and membership, which we're still in the process of sorting out. So just kind of just kind of drizzle that there and leave it. But we have a lot we want to do. We want to be involved in more elections. We want to be training more people. We want to be equipping more people, Christians, to think biblically about politics and run. Not that we're going to necessarily say we're about this party, we're about this campaign, but we want to take Christians who are thinking about political engagement and train them, give them the tools to go and honor Christ in the political sphere. We want to continue to represent more Canadians who've been discriminated against because of mandates and lawless restrictions. we got a lot of goals, a lot of plans, so we need your help. And this is something I'll say for, for our listeners. I have been quite floored by the generosity of our listeners thus far, not just in terms of the people that we saw when we were at the Church at War conference, Absolutely. but even in terms of what we've been seeing in donations and giving through the month of October and November so far. Our audience is is kind and generous, and obviously you believe in the work that we're doing and you want to see us do more of it. And so help us. Please mm. go to libertycoalitioncanada.com slash donate, and hopefully in the next day or so, we will have that donate page updated so that you can specifically say what you want to fund. If you want your donations to go specifically to the Legal Defense Fund, it can. Mm -hmm. To advocacy, you can. If you're like, hey, here's just general funds, you can. But because the Liberty Coalition Canada is partnering with the Christian Week, now if you donate to the analysis or shows to the podcast news media arm of it, because we bring a biblical Christian worldview in that analysis, you can receive a tax receipt for that. So you now have the ability to receive a charitable do donation receipt if you give to the analysis show's portion on the donate mm -hmm. page. And so our goal is to raise $300,000 by the end of this year so that we can keep doing more good stuff that you have benefited from. That's one thing we heard over the course of the weekend. Lots of people have benefited from and have been equipped and strengthened and fired up because of the work that we do. So help us. Help us to do more. I have no plans to upgrade my 2013 Dodge Caravan, just so we're clear. <laughs> I have no plans. But maybe your to, podcast setup. <laughs> maybe the podcast. I have yeah. no plan to do yeah. gold grill. Like that's yeah. not in the cards here. No. I, we want to be able to do what we're doing and serve you well and be pushing and fighting for a united front for liberties and freedoms mm -hmm. and justice here in Canada. And we need your help. So please yeah. consider supporting us that way. Yeah, listen, look look down south. Look at something like the Daily Wire, what they've been able to do. They've been able to get into children's programming. They've been able to uh, get into docu-series. They've been able to do exposés, book club series, movies, all those things. That's the exact same thing that we want to do up here. We want to get 
into all these different spheres so we can bring the Word of God to bear in all of life. And we can do it in a way where we're not only bringing um, in-depth analysis and thought, but we're also telling good stories. Because that's something the left does better than us uh, on many a time and pretty much exclusively. They tell stories. They couch their worldview in narrative. And we have to um, begin to fight back with those good stories and um, that's what we're about here on LCC and on the dispatch. So we would really encourage you to go over and donate again to us over our website, libertycoalitioncanada.com slash donate. You can also just scan that QR code at the bottom of the page. It'll take you directly there. And also with the update, we're also hoping to have, I know this has been in the works for a little bit. Um, we're hoping to have a, a way that you can select to give monthly because that's also another way that would really help us so we can plan for the future. If we know we have specific amount of money coming in, each and every month geared to different initiatives. It helps us plan for the future and sustain ourselves for the future because we have a ton of plans to get bigger and better in all assets and facets of what we're doing here on not only on the dispatch, but on uh, Liberty Coalition Canada. So again, thank you for all your support already. Uh, God bless you. Thanks for joining in and Galatians 5.1. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel, as well as visit our website at www.LibertyCoalitionCanada.com.